Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 168 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back, and today we have a big show for you. Not only are we recapping and breaking down the latest edition of NXT, this show is serving as your AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview ahead of the big pay-per-view on Sunday night. There's been some changes to the schedule this week. It's made it very difficult to figure out exactly when to cover AEW, but we're here, we're doing it now, and we have plenty to go over throughout this show. Again, NXT, AEW, but we actually are going to start off with a very little bit of WWE news when it comes to the commentary table. We will get to that in a moment because you know on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we're all about a couple things here. Of course, we're all about... It's all about the five. It's It's also about this. Stop being marks for yourselves and... And what all of that means is we want you to support us the way we support you. We create the content. We want you guys to hook us up with five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. All you need to do, open the app, find the podcast, go down to the review section, hit the five-star button, and leave a couple words about why this is your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Every single rating, every single review, that gets added to our profile It gives us uh, a greater chance of bumping up in the iTunes rankings. It it gives us uh, a chance to be in front of more eyes, which then gets us in more ear holes. And the goal is for us to increase our listener base. So please go ahead and do that. Also, do not forget to head on over to Twitter and give us a follow at Getting Overcast, because not only do we release new episodes on there, we tweet the biggest professional wrestling news all week long. We try to confirm whatever news we can. And we do special live shows on Twitter spaces, which just this week for the first time are now accessible on the Twitter desktop and mobile clients, in addition to the official Twitter apps for iOS and Android. That means if you are following us on Twitter, you can listen to our special live shows no matter the platform you use. That is fantastic news. And you'll be able to take advantage of that on Sunday around 6.30 p.m. Eastern, because we will have an AEW double or nothing go home kickoff show, specially for you right before the pay-per-views pre-show begins. We will be breaking down the entire card once again, but that does not supplant what we have in store for you today, which of course is the ultimate preview for AEW double or nothing along with us breaking down NXT. But as I said, before we get into that briefly, there were some changes made to the WWE commentary team. This week, there's actually been a lot of wrestling news that has broken uh, some of its inside stuff that we try not to cover on this podcast because we really don't like spoiling anything. So we're going to kind of ignore a lot of that. We're going to focus on this commentary change. And we did mention on our Tuesday podcast that Adnan Verk and WWE parted ways. Adnan was the lead play-by-play man for Raw. We did a full discussion on that. So be sure to listen to our Tuesday episode if you missed that. But WWE has since announced his replacement, and it is none other than former MMA fighter, former, uh, I think he did play-by-play, but he definitely did commentary for Bellator and UFC, Jimmy Smith. And you have most recently seen him 
actually on NXT. He was on the pre-show for NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver, and he was also part of the Prime Target segment, a video package, I should say, that NXT created for Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor too. And he has done, to this point, and granted, it's relatively limited, a great job so far uh, with NXT. Again, only two appearances, but it was reported today that Jimmy Smith has actually been working with Michael Cole and the WWE commentary team since the beginning of the month to potentially get ready for a play-by-play job. So that does lend some understanding into why this move was made. Maybe they just felt like he's completely ready to do it. Maybe Adnan had to get out. Maybe it all came together at the exact same time, or maybe they're going to throw him in when he's not ready for it, just like they threw in Adnan Verk when he was not ready for the Raw commentary team. But nevertheless, that is the change. That's what's happening. I am actually hopeful that it's going to work because the one thing Jimmy Smith did a great job of when he was on that NXT TakeOver uh, Stand and Deliver pre-show, which you can, by the way, go and watch on Peacock if you want to know who this guy is. He really broke things down from a fighter perspective. He was talking about moves and he was discussing every match like it was a sport, not just pure entertainment. Now, how is that going to mesh with what Vince McMahon wants and, and how they normally do commentary across Raw and SmackDown? I don't know the answer to that, but what I will say is Pat McAfee has been a great piece added to the SmackDown team, but he was added to the most veteran broadcaster that WWE has. Now you're taking Jimmy Smith, who's a neophyte when it comes to doing play-by-play, at least for wrestling, and you're adding him to a somewhat combustible team because Byron Saxton and uh, Corey Graves, despite I assume them being friends off the air, they're very combative on the air. And that may be a little bit difficult for him to handle while he's stepping into this new job. It's going to be interesting to see what it's like Corey Graves was handling some of the play-by-play duties on Raw while Adnan Verk was there. Maybe it's going to be a, a trio of just kind of mi- who's, they're, they're mixing who's calling the match, who's providing commentary on it from a color commentary standpoint. I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to work, but I will say what I noticed take a drastic downturn on Raw in particular over the last month was actually calling out moves and finishers and actually discussing the match as it was happening, as opposed to things that were happening in the background. So my hope is that with Jimmy Smith joining that team, they will get back to actually calling the action the way a Tom Phillips would or Michael Cole does, even though you may not love the way he does it, or certainly the way Vic Joseph does in NXT. But I did mention Tom Phillips there, and that is because not only did he not get the raw chair that I think a lot of us thought he might, they might reunite the old SmackDown team of Tom Phillips, uh, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxon. They are not doing that. Instead, what they've done is they've gone ahead and released Tom Phillips, which is certainly a very interesting move. Tom was the second number two veteran play-by-play man for WWE. I believe he has been there for about a decade now. Started in a backstage role, did some stuff for social media, uh, did interviewing, and then eventually worked his way into the uh, one of the top two chairs on commentary. And I always liked Tom. I've sung his praises on this show a lot. I think he's very good at his job, but it did always seem like there were potentially some behind the scenes things that weren't exactly working out with him for one reason or another without getting into too many details. So it is interesting that he's been released. He was pushed back to uh, lead play-by-play man for 205 Live, and he was supposed to be working on a lot of specials for the WWE Network with Peacock because he does some uh, backstage work as well. He has roles aside from being on commentary. 
but apparently they've decided that's no longer needed. So Tom Phillips is no longer a member of WWE and Jimmy Smith has moved into not the former Jags wide receiver, but the former MMA fighter, Jimmy Smith has moved into a role on Raw. So we will see what that is like on Monday. We still have a few weeks before we get to Hell in a Cell. We're going to know right off the bat, not necessarily whether he's going to succeed long-term, but we're going to know whether he's a better fit than Adnan Verk, at least right off the bat. So I am excited to see what that's going to be like on Monday. But we're not going to get to Monday until we get past Sunday, which is all about AEW this week and Double or Nothing. So a reminder for anyone who listens to these Thursday shows, we include timestamps in our episode descriptions, and that is so you can jump around if necessary, if you only watch one product or the other, you can jump to NXT, you can jump to AEW because this is the AEW Ultimate Preview for Double or Nothing. That's going to be the second half of the show. We always do the Ultimate Previews on the back end of the show. That means I'm going to recap NXT right off the top here. But again, if you want to hop to the AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview, all you need to do is check the episode description, find the timestamp, and you can hop on over to that, especially if you're listening to this right before the pay-per-view Double or Nothing on Sunday. But as I said, let's get started with NXT. And the big storyline on NXT this Tuesday was the main event, the NXT Championship being defended, carrying Cross as the champion, Finn Balor as the challenger. Certainly, this is a rematch for Balor after Cross took the title off of him following a very long reign. NXT did a fantastic job making this into a big deal. There was a tremendous video package to open the show, constant reminders of the match that it would be in the main event and a big fight feel throughout the Capitol Wrestling Center. Cross dominated early with his strength. Balor fought back with some counters and a standing double stomp to the chest. The match was very slow and methodical at the very beginning, which is a constant problem with Cross matches, as we know. The energy just is not there early in the match. Cross kicked out at one pretty late in the match, then countered a double stop into the Cross jacket that Balor broke in the ropes. Cross destroyed Balor in the hockey glass and stared down the fans. Balor countered a powerbomb into a DDT, then hit a sling blade and tope cannonball, but Cross just completely no-sold it and stood up, throwing Balor into the announce table. Balor came back with a double stomp and a missile dropkick, but Cross avoided the coup de grace. He had a German suplex, then a Saito suplex, but Balor countered the back elbow or forearm into a failed pinning combination. They exchanged forearms to the back of the head while the other one was on the ground. They did it back and forth. Cross then was staring at Scarlet, and Balor put him into the straight jacket, which is just the regular move, followed by a triangle choke. The referee did the full arm lift, which we always talk about. We love that. We missed that from back in the day to see if the arm falls to check for a submission. And Cross grabbed the referee's arm as his arm was falling. So he couldn't call the match. I loved that. It was a great spot. Then he suddenly lifted Balor for a one-arm powerbomb. Cross hit the forearm to the back of the head, which is his finisher, but did not go for a pinfall, instead deciding to choke Balor out until he passed out, allowing Cross to retain the title. So this was one of those zero to 60 matches. Uh, it picked up massively in the final 10 minutes. I believe it was 25 to 27 minutes long, including commercials. But the commercial break certainly didn't help. And as I said, it got off to an incredibly slow start. The finish was expected, obviously, with Cross going over and retaining. It would have really made no sense to switch the title back at this point. And it was ultimately... A good match, you know, uh, 3.5 stars, 3.75, right between the B and B plus range. It was nothing exceptional, nothing that deserved high praise, but Finn Balor does such a great job making Karrion Cross 
look like he's a good wrestler because Karrion Cross to this point against basically anyone else has not been impressive in the ring whatsoever. But Balor really gets the best out of him. And when we talk about best wrestlers in the world, so often we're talking about Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix. And, and nowadays, Roman Reigns has entered the discussion. Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles. We just, and of course, all the guys in Japan, I don't mean to discount any of the guys over there, Shingo and, and uh, Will Ospreay and Okada, all those guys. But we forget about Finn Balor. He is legitimately one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he's still operating at an exceptionally high level, and he proved it once again in this match. Some thought this was better than their takeover match. I didn't. I really liked that takeover match, but this was still very good, and it was a worthy TV main event. Cross no-selling so frequently, it just takes me out of the match. It makes you wonder why they're leaning into that so hard when there's not a clear person to overcome that strength other than maybe Bronson Reed down the road, but he just won the North American title. There's really no one else on that brand right now that matches up to Karrion Cross. So you wonder if he's no-selling Finn Balor, then when he fights a Pete Dunne or a Kyle O'Reilly or an Adam Cole or Johnny Gargano or whoever the hell else ends up being his next challenger, he's got to no-sell that shit too. So how is he ever going to lose? Um, so I just don't, I don't know what they're doing. It's, they're trying to build up Karrion Cross the same way they're building up Roman Reigns, but Roman is believable in that role and Roman doesn't know sell. He sells his ass off. Cross is just, they're trying to make him too strong and he's not good enough or exciting enough as champion to be built up as strong as he is. So we could be in the middle of not necessarily a down period for NXT because it's still a really exciting product. But in terms of the main event picture, I don't know how they're going to make that exciting going forward. And I think the answer is going to have to be triple threat matches and, and specialty matches. Otherwise, Karrion Cross just, he seems like a guy who should be on Raw. He doesn't seem like a guy who should be NXT champion. At least that's the way I look at it. But ultimately, I can't imagine how Finn Balor remains in NXT after this. There's just nothing left for him to do. He had a very long very successful title run. He's now lost to Cross twice. He lost the title to him and he lost the rematch. Putting him into a secondary main event level or upper mid-card feud doesn't make sense. Having him contest for the North American Championship doesn't make sense. Putting him in a tag team doesn't make sense. So for me, there's nothing left for him to do in NXT and the main roster, especially with fans coming back and with a reduced workload. Because remember, Balor was getting burned out from the excessive touring. Now they're basically only doing two or three shows per week, which with wrestlers on an individual brand, probably doing two at most because they're not really house shows. So he should hopefully feel better about going back on the road. And I think that is the plan, at least based on all the tea leaves. That's what I believe is going to be happening. Balor could totally work on either brand. Like I said, his star power is much needed and he would be a great person to bring back in front of crowds. But if it was up to me, I would put him on Raw right away because Raw not only needs to be freshened up, but he brings a coolness and a cockiness with this Prince character that would place extremely well on that brand and they would be able to elevate him into the main event picture. Right now, it feels like Raw does have some mid-carters, just some people kind of around, but there's no one that's actually a legitimate challenger right now to Bobby Lashley other than Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. And we've already seen those matches. 
So if you remember, Balor had a long feud with Lashley. It was not a great feud, although the wrestling was good. Uh, over the Intercontinental Championship about two years ago, I would go right back to Balor and Lashley, rekindle the storylines f- kind of from that reminder that Balor beat him for the Intercontinental title. And I put Balor in a WWE Championship match with Bobby Lashley at SummerSlam. And I have Finn Balor win the WWE Championship. If I'm booking the damn territory, that's what I'm doing. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I do think he's going to go to the main roster. If Again, if it was me, I'd put him on Raw. Later in NXT, William Regal set a number one contendership match for next week between Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and Johnny Gargano with the winner facing Cross at TakeOver in your house. So look, this is going to be an absolute banger of a match, but the main event scene in NXT right now is getting really stale. Like how many times have we seen all of these guys go after and challenge for titles recently? Hopefully my assumption, my guess is we're going to see Adam Cole cost Kyle O'Reilly in some form this match. They're going to have a match again at TakeOver in your house. I hope that's a loser leaves town match finally. Where at then maybe, I don't even know, I guess Pete Dunne wins and goes up against Cross or maybe it ends up being Johnny Gargano. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do. That's how I would book it. I just don't see how you give Kyle O'Reilly another title match after he's already lost to Finn Balor twice. We'll move on and talk about the rest of NXT. We had Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez against Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon for the number one contendership for the NXT women's tag team titles. This opened the show and it started strong both ways. Shotzi broke a fall with a running senton, then had a good hot tag with a fireman's face buster. Moon caught Kai in an awesome ankle hook face lock. Gonzalez went to hit her choke bomb finisher, but Moon countered it with a modified eclipse. And then the faces followed up with a double team front slam for the win over Kai. Gonzalez got pissed, powerbombed Shotzi into the hockey glass twice, and then the ring post once before dumping her onto the barricade as Kai forced Moon to watch the entire thing. I thought this was really well done all around. The match was strong, probably like 3.25 stars and a B. It got about 15 minutes. The right team won and Gonzalez left looking strong. There's not really much more that you could want from a match to open a big show because they got people really excited for the rest of the program. But they need to create more women's tag teams because it cannot just be these three going back and forth. And that's really the reason why they never should have created a second set of women's tag team titles. They should have just allowed the WWE ones to go for an excursion down in NXT for four months before bringing them back. So I don't understand it. I don't know why they decided to create a new set of titles but they do have to create more than three teams to go after them. And I know that there's the KCs, but we've barely even seen them on TV. So I don't even know that they're fully involved in it. So uh, we will kind of see what happens with all of this. We had Pete Dunne against Bobby Fish in a singles match. Dunne focused on Fish's triceps in the ring while Fish tried to take out Dunne at ringside as retribution for, you know, whatever happened to him at war games. Dunne took a suplex and landed on the back of his neck in the ropes, but he was okay. Fish drove like a dozen knees into Dunne's gut. But when he tried limb manipulation, Dunn countered with the bitter end for the win. Oni Lurkin attacked Fish and tried to rip his surgically repaired triceps on the ring apron after the match. Kyle O'Reilly did not make the save. Uh, so this was really well wrestled, but it was quite boring. I, I just didn't really care about the match. Probably a good spot to be second on the show. And obviously we're going to get Oni Lurkin against Bobby Fish either next week or the week after. But I'm not really sure what they're going to do with Bobby Fish. If they want him to be in the Cassius Ono role now as just the veteran guy who can help put talent over and work programs with people. I think that's a pretty good role, but I just don't otherwise know what they're ever going to do with Bobby Fish on his own in NXT. Hit Row cut a promo from their studio. 
They took turns calling out all the champions on the brand, mixing shots or references uh, to them one-on-one as a group rhyme. No huge takeaways from this other than I just continue loving the faction. They've hardly done anything yet and I already love them. It just all works so well together. And one thing I really like that NXT has done recently is they've had groups and factions call out all the champions. So not just like Swerve focusing on the North American title or Santos Escobar focusing on the NXT title, but they have them saying, hey, look, we're a group. We want all the championships. And I do think that creates some really interesting things that can happen down the line, especially with Legato and Hit Row. I wonder if they're going to kind of go head to head. I'd love to see, for example, Swerve at some point down the line beat Bronson Reed for the North American Championship and then have a feud with Santos Escobar, Hit Row versus Legato del Fantasma. That could be awesome. We had Mercedes Martinez against Zeta Ramirez in a singles match. Boa was stalking Martinez backstage as she walked to the ring. Ramirez got a little bit of offense, but Martinez overwhelmed her with a running knee and an air raid crash finisher for the easy win. The lights went out after the bell as Tien Shaw graphics, lights, and smoke filled the ring and the ringside area. Then all of a sudden they flipped back to being regular and Martinez had a charcoal mark on her hand, basically the mark of Tien Shaw, which is what they did to, I forget if it was Casey or Caden, but one of them previously. It was good for Martinez to get a squash victory. I'm just being curious what they're going to do next week with Tien Shaw. And they haven't really given us any motivation, right? Like we know it's a group. They seem pretty cool. Zia Lee has a little bit more energy and juice behind her, but Bo has done nothing. The other woman has done nothing. And we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So I kind of just want a little bit more life to this, but it is interesting. And other than that, you know, we'll see kind of how it goes. Next, we had the million-dollar face-off, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, against Cameron Grimes, head-to-head, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, mic-to-mic, I guess, is the best way to put it, as I try to go through all those different phrases. Uh, Grimes seemed pretty genuine, saying he didn't come from money, and he saw DiBiase as an idol, because he was able to treat people like shit, but they'd still like him because he's rich. He said he didn't understand why DiBiase was giving him a hard time, and maybe it's not best to meet your heroes. DiBiase said he put Grimes through hell because he sees a bit of himself in Grimes and wanted to find someone to carry on the million dollar legacy. He said it's not just about the money and embarrassing people, but in-ring performance and that Grimes has lost his focus since becoming rich. And I think that's some pretty interesting storytelling. So they definitely had me going here. But as he said that, that brought out L.A. Knight, who put himself over as someone who didn't get lucky with money in crypto, but is certified gold and could carry on the million dollar man's legacy. DiBiase said Knight was impressive and Grimes got pissed, threatening Knight, who then took him out with a cutter. DiBiase stood over Grimes and laughed, saying he's just never going to get it. This was clunky at times as a segment, but it did work to start turning Grimes' face in the same vein of like Eddie Guerrero when he was doing the lie, cheat, and steal version of his character, where he's doing things that are heelish, but you like him. And I think that's kind of what they're going for here with Cameron Grimes. Obviously, we're going to have a match between Grimes and Knight for something. And I think they could make it potentially for kayfabe $1 million, or they could bring back the million dollar belt and put that on the line, perhaps at TakeOver in Your House or something like that. It is a bit of interesting mid-card booking. I think Knight works as a pretty good foil for Grimes, 
But you guys just know, like LA Knight, start to finish, every single time I see him. And this didn't necessarily change that. LA Knight having the million dollar belt, if that's what they actually do, it's not going to change. So I, I don't know, man. I know some people like him. Some of you who listen really like LA Knight. I don't get it. Yes, he has some charisma, but his promos are so canned. His wrestling isn't anything special. And the name and gimmick is just super, super weird. So I don't know what the plan is for LA Knight or for this, but I hope that Grimes comes out on top, whatever it is, and is able to eventually get over the million dollar man. Ted DiBiase, and by the way, I'm enjoying Grimes and DiBiase. The whole thing is really working for me. Indy Hartwell was running around looking for Dexter Loomis backstage. She interrupted Ever Rise Live, which was really funny. Drake Maverick then pointed her to a room that was filled with black and red drawings of broken hearts and Loomis with a knife in his chest. Not much really happened here, but it was a nice aside to continue that storyline on an otherwise busy show where they wouldn't be able to get to it. There was a Frankie Monet debut against Cora Jade. Monet made a great entrance and her theme is a total banger. She dominated as expected, crushing Jade in the corner. Jade got a moment of offense until Monet hit a spear and then a tilting powerbomb followed by the glam slam right in front of Beth Phoenix on commentary for the one, two, three. I love the presentation of her. I'm not exactly sure where she fits into the women's division, but this was a good start in ring for Frankie Monet. Uh, We had Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher cut a taped promo uh, about taking two steps forward and one step back with their focus on getting retribution on the Grizzled Young Veterans. That team, the heels responded later that they're done with Ciampa and Thatcher and not thinking about them, but instead focused on MSK and the tag team titles. These were a couple fine promos, but nothing really special. Walter told the rest of Imperium via satellite that taking out Alexander Wolfe was the first step in Imperium regaining its dominance, and they needed to right the wrong of losing the tag team titles to Brizongo, so we assume we're going to get that match next week. Imperium just seems to be a really weird fit for me in NXT US. Walter not being there is definitely part of it, but even without him, they're just boring as a team. You don't want to see them win, but you know they shouldn't lose because their gimmick is about them being ring generals and technicians. Something has just felt off about Imperium ever since it joined NXT in the United States, and I just don't think it works. I think that's a fine gimmick and team for NXT UK, but I don't think they need them anymore in the United States because they have a tag team division now. They fully revitalized that and built it up and they can create more teams. So I don't know what the plan is for Imperium, but it is one thing on NXT right now that despite me loving Walter, Imperium on the United States NXT TV show just does not work for me. It's just endlessly boring. Uh, And then lastly, Bronson Reed celebrated his North American championship win and talked about all the adversity he faced before his triumph. He said he had a big mountain to climb, but anyone going after him has a colossal mountain to climb. To my delight, huge delight, you guys know, Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma answered him with Escobar mocking him, saying that he was born a champion and the emperor of Lucha Libre. So he wants the North American title since it represents Mexico. There was a really funny part where they said, hey, what about Canada? He's like, screw Canada, who cares? I thought that was all really funny. Uh, They were about to attack attack Reed three-on-one, Legato, when MSK ran in for the save with the faces standing tall on the end. I did think Escobar's promo was a bit too slow and methodical, and it was kind of boring at the beginning. 
but it did pick up and this is a potentially great feud. You guys know I've wanted Escobar to level up for about six months now, and it's great to finally see it happening. My expectation is we're going to get a six-man tag team match, and then potentially we should, now that I'm thinking about it, get Bronson Reed against Escobar and MSK against Legato, both at TakeOver in your house on, I think it's June 13th. So they're building to that. It's only a couple of weeks away. Really, both of those matches should happen, but first, I think we'll obviously get a six-man tag team match, either next week on NXT or two weeks after on NXT. So overall, before we get to the ultimate preview of AEW Double or Nothing, a quick recap uh, regarding NXT. I'll say it was a good show. This was not anywhere near as strong of a show as we've gotten from them for most of the last three weeks. Three weeks ago and two weeks ago were both exceptionally strong. Two of the best NXT TV shows I think they've ever put on, non-special events since moving to USA Network. Last week's show was very, very entertaining. This was just a good episode. It was all built around the main event. And the main event, despite it being important for the NXT title, it really only got you so excited. So there was just a lot of things that didn't happen, a lot of storylines that didn't get to move forward because they were so focused on this match. But overall, two hours, good wrestling television. NXT doesn't really miss even when it's not great. And that's what happened this week. So with that, let's move to the AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview. We have eight total matches set for the card, one on the pre-show and seven on the main show as of right now. Of course, we are taping this early on Thursday, so we don't know if any matches are gonna get added. We don't have all of the juicy content from the go-home edition of AEW Dynamite that we always include in our Ultimate Previews. Whenever we do it for WWE or NXT or even AEW, when we talk about the individual matches, we talk about what happened on the go-home show and lead that into our conversation about each individual match. So because of that, it's gonna be a relatively short preview just because we don't have that new content to discuss, but we will nevertheless go through each individual match. And as I mentioned, on Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast, we will have a go-home kickoff show special live on Twitter spaces. You guys can all listen and we will talk about anything that happened on the Go Home Show along with everything else that we think is important ahead of AEW Double or Nothing. I also initially said that Chris Vanini would be joining me for this Ultimate Preview. He unfortunately was unable to catch up on the last couple weeks of AEW in time to do the show, so he's not with me today, but hopefully I have him on Sunday for that live Go Home Show Uh, on Twitter spaces. So let's get into it. Let's break down this card. We start with that pre-show. It's a single match. The NWA Women's Championship is on the line. Serena Deeb defending against Rio. So for this match, there's just not really much build to it, right? I'm glad they're putting it on the show. We're getting two women's matches. It should be a great, legitimately great match. Uh, I love Serena Deeb. She's been incredible on Dynamite recently. Rio almost always puts on bangers, especially when she's in the ring with someone equally or near as talented as her. So this is going to be a great pre-show match, but I don't see any reason why they would change the title here. It doesn't make sense to put it on Rio. It doesn't even really make sense for the title to be on the line when there's no storyline build to it. So very simply, I have Serena Deeb retaining, but I think this is going to surprise, and I actually think it has a chance to be better than at least a couple of matches on the main card. 
So it's a very worthy pre-show. And I do wonder if they may do a second match on the pre-show as well, but I am ultimately excited for it. As far as the main card, as I said, seven matches. We have the Casino Battle Royal, as is tradition, for an AEW championship opportunity, world title opportunity. So there's a long list of people in this match. I'm not gonna read all of their names, but the one who really does legitimately stand out to me is Christian Cage. And I know that there's a lot of people in the match who he's been kind of side feuding with, who could take him out. But given the fact that Edge won the Royal Rumble and they need a reason to really take Christian and elevate him into a scenario where he can challenge for the world title without necessarily having him build up his record to the degree where he edges out Hangman Page, let's say, for an opportunity. I think having him win the Battle Royal just makes a lot of sense. You want someone with a name value to win this. You're coming off of finally operating on your own night with NXT having moved to Tuesday. And I think you want to create a scenario where you can have a really big TV match. And Kenny Omega potentially versus Christian Cage to me is a really big TV match for the AEW World Championship. So this one's tough to predict because it is a battle royal and they haven't really, because it's a battle royal and not like a Royal Rumble where you know it's so important, the Royal Rumble to WWE, that it's pretty easy to narrow down the people who could potentially win to like three or four individuals, sometimes one or two individuals. This one, it's really just a shot in the dark because it's just not as important to the show or to AEW as the Royal Rumble is again, to WWE. So I'm gonna go with Christian Cage. I just think it makes a lot of sense. And they really need something for him to do and something for him to kind of lord over uh, the champion and kind of the rest of the roster. They need to figure out a way to make him relevant. And I think him winning the Casino Battle Royal will do that. We have a singles match, unfortunately. Uh, Cody Rhodes operating for one time only as the American Dream against Anthony Agogo. Now, you guys know I have absolutely zero interest in this match. I think the build for it has been insulting. Cody's promo was absolutely atrocious. We've already talked about that. The way that they've built up a go-go to really just be a guy who was able to punch someone and knock them out, but not someone who can necessarily wrestle. It's interesting, um, to say the least. You know, we haven't really seen anything from this guy to believe that he can hang with Cody, who is supposedly one of the best wrestlers on the entire roster, right? And a guy who should otherwise be in the world championship picture if he did not have that stipulation against him from, you know, the beginning of AEW's creation. So this is a tough match to predict um, because again, as a fan, I'm rooting for a go-go. I'm an American and I'm rooting for a go-go. I actually kind of like Cody from a a period of time where I did not like him. And I'm rooting for a go-go because the storyline is so bad And Cody's promo was so insulting and atrocious. But I don't know how you can have this neophyte who can't actually, I'm not saying he can't wrestle, but we haven't seen him wrestle. I don't know how you can legitimately put him over Cody on a big pay-per-view where it actually makes sense unless it's as simple as he catches him with a punch in the gut and another one to the chin and the referee waves off the match so Cody doesn't get pinned, he doesn't submit, he just gets knocked out. So I guess if I I look at this from a scenario of having to put money on it, right? Like if I had to bet on this match, who am I going to bet on? And I'm going to bet on Cody Rhodes because it just makes more sense to have the veteran win. I don't think you're hurting a go-go by having him actually go toe-to-toe with Cody and having Cody win. But the booking, the better booking 
And what I'm rooting for as a fan and my interest level is for a go-go to win, despite me still not really caring much about him. So I know that's not like hardcore analysis for this match, but there's not a hardcore storyline to it. It's very flimsy at best. And him operating as the American dream, while that's pretty awesome, right? And I think he should have that opportunity. It's his father and and it's a great way to pay tribute to Dusty Rhodes to do it on this storyline in a match against Anthony Ogogo, it's almost a waste of it. So I'm just depressed about the entire thing. But I will pick Cody Rhodes, again, just as an official pick. I ain't rooting for it, though. I'm just telling you that. Uh, We have Hangman Adam Page against Brian Cage in a rematch uh, from basically Cage beating Page on AEW Dynamite a few weeks ago. I'm excited about this because, first of all, not only was this a fun match, AEW is very rarely actually gives us rematches. And this is a scenario where it makes complete sense because Adam Hangman Page was climbing his way up the rankings. Cage kind of stunted that progression by beating him. And now Page not only wants retribution on Cage for the loss, but he needs to kind of get his win back and increase his stature up the rankings. To me, what is going to make a lot of sense is for Page to be slotted as the guy who beats Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship. And AEW is going to want to do that in front of a packed house of fans, presumably, at least if it was me, at their next major pay-per-view. So three months from now or so. But it's not just about Paige having the win-loss record. He needs the gravitas. He needs that momentum. And right now, the stuff he's doing kind of with Dark Order and just kind of existing as a guy who's wrestling, they've stopped telling his story about his depression and his alcoholism. They've stopped concentrating him on as a major character on, on the show. And he's just getting kind of lost by all these other people that are getting elevated. And some people just kind of out of nowhere, like Orange Cassidy suddenly becoming a guy worthy of a singles championship match. Pac, even though he's won a couple matches, mostly not on Dynamite from a singles perspective, suddenly becoming a guy worthy of a singles match where you have Hangman Page near the top of the rankings who is consistently the opening match on Dynamite basically every week and almost always winning with the exception of Cage. So they need to build Page up, not only from a win-loss standpoint, but they need to build him up from a character standpoint and a, a storytelling momentum standpoint. And they need to get back into the stuff with Hangman Page that made us excited about his future in AEW. So I think that is what their plan is. And I think this is the jumping off point. Cage having already beat Page, won't get hurt too much if he does lose this. Sure, there is potentially the Team Taz factor. I think Dark Order kind of evens that out. I'm going with Hangman Adam Page to beat Brian Cage, get his retribution, and get a big reaction from what should be a very packed crowd at Daly's place. We have the TNT Championship on the line. Miro defending his newly won title against Lance Archer. A match to me that just doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen, but... For Miro to immediately be challenged by Lance Archer, and I know that Miro's defending the title on the Friday Dynamite. I I forgot who it's against off the top of my head, but someone he's going to beat clearly because he has a title match at the pay-per-view. For Miro to have just won the title and immediately be challenged by the guy who really should be the guy to take eventually the title off Miro, for them to do that right away at this pay-per-view is super weird. I see no way that Miro drops the title. I don't necessarily know if he's going to have help or if Archer's going to get distracted or if it's just going to be a true, clean, 
big meaty men slapping freaking meat fight. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> because that is what we want to see. We want that meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I don't think this match is going to be delicate. I think this is going to be a absolute banger of a match. Miro and Archer should go nuts on each other. But when you get to then the finish, you're saying, well, Lance Archer loses everything. And Miro, we've been waiting nine months for him to be successful in anything. And Miro finally has found success. He's finally been elevated. He beat Darby Allen clean. He won the TNT Championship. I wish he wasn't even on the card. I gotta be honest. I wish they saved this match for that first Dynamite where they're touring again in July. I know it's six weeks from now, but have him fight other people, have other people challenge him and save the big banger with Archer for something like that as opposed to just throwing it with very short build onto one of your four pay-per-view cards a year. So I don't agree with it being here. There's not much storyline to even dissect. And there's not really much of a pick to be made because it wouldn't make any sense for Archer to beat Miro unless you're going to have them trade the title every week for the next few months. So I have Miro winning and I'm looking forward to the fight, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to the finish, if that makes any sense. I am looking forward to this match being not about water, not about bread, but just pure meat. Because I promise you, there's going to be a lot of beef flying in the ring. All right, you have to excuse me. I just wanted to use some sound drops. I don't usually use a lot of them on the Thursday episode. I wanted to get them out. And it's not often that we truly get a big meaty men match one-on-one from AEW. And we did get that here. So look, I give them, I give it to WWE all the time. I got to give it to AEW. But I am excited. It should be a great match. I do have Miro ultimately winning and retaining the title. We have the Women's Championship on the line, Hikaru Shida versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Now, unlike the TNT title match, this one has storyline and a lot of it, right? And we have been talking about Britt Baker being the AEW Women's World Champion for a long ass time. I've been saying for probably six months now that she should have been elevated into that role and really following the match with Thunder Rosa, which inexplicably she lost. Um, She was clearly the woman and has from the very beginning clearly been the woman that needs to get elevated into a world champion in AEW. And this is the opportunity. Hikaru Shida has done a great job holding on to the title for a calendar year. She's put on some fantastic matches. This one may end up being her best. I think these two are going to come in I don't mean, when I say this, I don't mean it in a negative way. I think it's going to be rehearsed to a exceptional degree to make sure that this thing delivers the way that fans want it to. And ultimately, the booking absolutely has to be Britt Baker walking out of Double or Nothing as the women's champion. She's the rightful heir to the throne. She's the woman that AEW needs to lead its women's division into its next phase as a heel because there's so many... They need to start developing face women on the brand outside of really Thunder Rosa and Riho and Sheeta, obviously, who's been the champion this entire time. They got to start developing other women. And I think putting a heel as champion 
establishing that person with a couple of strong title defenses early, it's going to allow them to start running through the Ty Conchis and the uh, Chris Statlanders and getting a lot of people to get opportunities that maybe they've had, but not to the degree that they can have them from a women's feud and English speaking in some degree as well, feud with Britt Baker. Uh, So she's been great. I've been a huge fan of hers really since she started in AEW, but especially since she turned heel, she's been doing a great job. It is time to officially crown the doctor, Britt Baker DMD, as the new AEW Women's World Champion. And yes, of course, that is my prediction and pick for this match. Two more matches left. The AEW World Championship, Kenny Omega defending against Orange Cassidy and Pac in a triple threat match. I believe the first ever triple threat match for a singles title in AEW history, male, female, world title, uh, women's title, or TNT title. So very exciting stuff. And the people in this match, Omega, Orange, Pac, Pac, sorry, uh, they're going to tear the house down. Like this is going to be an absolute banger of a match. I can't wait. Uh, Five-star potential, no question. Really, whenever Omega's in a match, you have that potential and Pac being in there lends credence to it as well. My hope for the match more than anything is they stay away from being too reliant on comedy with Orange Cassidy because that's always a concern when you have an important match with him in it. I just hope that, okay, if you want to do it at the very beginning because that's pretty much how it always happens, that's fine. But have Omega and Pac get frustrated, kind of kick his ass for a minute, have him come back in and be serious and then just run this thing into the ground. I want to see flips and and freaking crazy moves and counters and reversals. I want this thing to be everything it possibly can be. And I think AEW knows it needs this match to be that because the truth is, despite them having a number one contendership that obviously would have been fought to a draw, but was called for medical reasons on Dynamite, it's not an exceptionally strong match from a storytelling perspective. Really, you just have Omega trying to continue his reign and remain the belt collector that he's been having the Impact World Championship and the AAA Mega Championship. And Orange being in the spot doesn't make a lot of sense. Pac, I believe, is close to near the top of the rankings. But as I said earlier, he hasn't really been winning singles matches on Dynamite. I think they've all happened on Elevation and Dark. So you're not really seeing these guys be deserving of this role. Whereas had it been Moxley, had it been Hangman, or or someone of that ilk, it would have made a lot of sense for them to be in this position. MJF, of course, is someone else as well, who, by the way, MJF like wins every match he's in, but somehow he's never really, he's only gotten like one world title opportunity ever. So yeah, I'm interested to see how this match ultimately plays out, but I don't have much analysis for it because again, there's not much storyline to it. So all I can really say is that my pick is Kenny Omega and really putting the title on Orange or Pac just wouldn't make an iota of sense based on the storyline they're currently telling with Kenny. But I do expect this to be an absolute banger and I am extremely excited about it. I said I had two matches left. I just remembered I skipped one in this Ultimate Preview. I just completely scrolled over it. It is the AEW Tag Team Championships, the Young Bucks defending the titles against Jon Moxley and Eddie Kingston. So this one's pretty interesting, right? Because the Bucks have not been tag team champions for that long, and they are right in the midst of having this really interesting character change where they've become full heels again. And I don't know that that character adjustment 
would continue holding up if they simply drop the titles in their first, I don't want to say their first major defense, but the first defense where you feel like they're actually threatened for losing the championships. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, unlike some of these other matches I've mentioned, this one, again, has a pretty large, long, strong build to it. But I don't necessarily think that you need Mox and Kingston to suddenly become tag team champions. I don't know what that does for the division. I don't really know what what it does for them individually or together. And then if you want to go outside the squared circle, you have to consider that Renee Young, Renee Paquette, I should say, is pretty close to having her child. And I don't know that you're going to put the strap on someone who is going to clearly want to take paternity leave, even if he does fly out to AEW to tape a show once a week, right? You would assume he's going to want to be home with his brand new baby for an extended period of time. So based on all of those things, I just don't think it makes sense for the Young Bucks to drop the titles. You have Kingston in the match who can take the fall. He's the one of the four guys who it makes the most sense to be the fall guy. You have the entire elite faction. You have Michael Nakazawa and you have the Good Brothers who can interfere and cause distractions to force Moxley and Kingston not to win. You can have Kingston go into individual singles feuds with Carl Anderson uh, or Luke Gallows or even the individual members of the Young Bucks. So I think there's a lot they can do to kind of keep this all going without having them win the titles. And therefore, I just don't think it makes any sense for there to be a title change. So that does mean out of all the titles on the line on the show, and that includes now the NWA Women's Championship, that's five titles on the line. I only really see one of them changing. And that is the AEW Women's Championship, Hikaru Shida, against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Again, I have Britt Baker winning that match. So those are the title matches. We are left with the main event, the inner circle against the pinnacle in the second edition of Stadium Stampede. So this is really interesting. I think it's pretty smart booking for it to be the main event of the show, not only because of the spectacle of using the stadium and everything that is involved with it. But really, when you look at this card and you kind of try to pinpoint which storyline is the most involved and the most intense, it's this one by far. It doesn't even really compare. You can say Sheeta and Baker is up there, but everything else was kind of just pieced together inside of the last month or so. I should say the Young Bucks and Moxing Kings, and that's a little bit longer term too. So it's really both of those two. But really, Inner Circle Against the Pinnacle has been the most developed. Uh, They're bringing Eric Bischoff into Dynamite on Friday to do an interview with the Inner Circle. And there is a stipulation on this match, I should mention as well, that if the Inner Circle loses to the Pinnacle, it will be forced to disband for good. That stipulation, even though I was still going in this direction for the match, that stipulation leads me to believe even more that the Inner Circle will end up winning here. Because I don't really know what good would come of splitting up the inner circle. They work so well together. It's a really good faction. They were just turned face and they just lost to the pinnacle at Blood and Guts. So why are you going to double down, have them lose again, basically make all the members of the faction, again, look like losers, right? That's what you are when you lose. For what purpose when the pinnacle is already built extremely strong? In a match like Stadium Stampede, especially considering the inner circle has experience in the match, you can create all sorts of excuses or storytelling reasons why the Pinnacle would lose. 
you have Sean Spears take the freaking fall, right? You have one half of FTR take the fall and it doesn't hurt Wardlow and it doesn't hurt MJF. So I don't think it makes sense to have the pinnacle go over here. I could make an argument for it if you're really trying to establish them as a dominant faction in AEW. If you want to establish MJF to such a degree where you're going to make him sooner than later the world champion, that would all make a lot of sense. But there seems to be absolutely no momentum for MJF to be the world champion soon when Kenny Omega is the current champion. It would make sense if there was a face champion right now. So because of that, I just don't really see any good reason why the Pinnacle should win when losing would not hurt them one iota, but the inner circle losing would disband the entire faction. A faction that kind of needs to stay together because they all work so well together and they just got through MJF trying to interfere and they just got through blood and guts and now their faces and people love them and they're starting to cheer for them. So I don't see any reason why you should break it up. So yeah, there's not much of a prediction to give this match because I don't know what it's going to be. There's supposed to be cinematic elements. A lot of it's supposed to be live. I'm certainly excited for the match, probably more than any other one on the show in the first stadium stampede, despite having moments that were not great, such as the drowning uh, early on and some other things that happened during it. It was a spectacle and it was something that was enjoyable and unique and certainly something that we've never seen WWE do, even though they had the empty arena matches previously. But Stadium Stampede was extremely special, the first one. And I think this one can live up to it and possibly even exceed it because you're not going to be worried about like the Matt Hardy broken theatrics and some of the other bullshit that happened during the first Stadium Stampede. So I do have the inner circle coming out on top. And lastly here, before we kind of get out, my pre-show grade, my expectation grade for AEW double or nothing. It's always tough to judge with the AEW pay-per-views because some of them have stronger builds than others and the build for the show doesn't necessarily dictate how successful it's going to be or how entertaining it's going to be. We see it all the time with WWE where a build for a pay-per-view can be lackluster, but by the time we get into the show, the matches are hitting and we're really, really enjoying it. So I can't go in with an A expectation grade because even though there's, let me just do a quick count, one, two, three, four, five of the eight matches I think can be total bangers. There's not a lot of storyline excitement going into the show. So because of that, I will just go with a flat B as an expectation grade. I think it's fair. It's basically what I give most WWE pay-per-views, somewhere between a, a B minus and a B plus. So I'll go with a B here. I think I think that this is going to be a very good pay-per-view. I don't think it's going to be one of AEW's best pay-per-views, but they have every opportunity to completely change that And by the time the show's over, we could potentially give it an A because the card is stacked enough where an A becomes possible, where those final three or four matches could just tear the freaking house down to such a degree, not just from a match quality standpoint, but from a booking standpoint, where you say, oh my God, AEW has really put a great foot forward now that they're about to welcome fans back in about, you know, five or six weeks. So yeah, that's it. That is the AEW double or nothing ultimate preview. As I mentioned earlier, we will have a live AEW Double or Nothing go home kickoff show 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. The way you can access that is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And whether you have Twitter on desktop, uh, use the mobile web or the official iOS or Android app, you will be able to join in, listen along as we break down Double or Nothing 
right before it goes on the air, right before their kickoff show. I shouldn't say begins. And then do not forget, I forgot to mention it earlier, Sunday night, as soon as AEW Double or Nothing goes off the air, once again, as always, Getting Over will deliver our instant analysis pay-per-view podcast. For that, you need to be sure to subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on any platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Android, um, Amazon Podcasts, Podbean. Uh, There's like a million of them out there. We're on all of them. Search Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You will find us. You can subscribe and we will deliver that right onto your phone just probably an hour or so after that show goes off the air. Next week here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, we're back to our normal schedule. We have a WWE episode on Tuesday and our regular NXT AEW episode on Thursday. So that's it. Long show today, The Silver King. You can hear the voices going right now. So I'm going to bid you adieu. Again, I will speak with you all on Friday live on Twitter Spaces. Do not forget about that instant analysis. Sunday night, with all of that said, I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now.